Welcome back to the Bioinformatics and Beyond podcast. I'm Leo Elworth, and I'm joined again by Dr. Zahi Fayad and Dr. Robert Hurton from the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, where Dr. Fayad is professor of radiology and medicine and cardiology and the founding director of the Biomedical Engineering and Imaging Institute. And Dr. Hurton is an assistant professor of medicine and a gastroenterologist at the Susan and Leonard Feinstein Inflammatory Bowel Disease Center. Today, we're going to talk about a really cool scientific work that my guest recently led, which was a study on predicting COVID infections using wearables, where participants wore an Apple Watch, and it was shown that the data collected can diagnose and identify COVID-19 and COVID-19 related symptoms, which to me is really exciting. So thank you both again for joining to discuss your work. And do you want to maybe start with just talking about the inspiration for this work and like how it came to be? Thank you very much for having us. And it is really a beautiful story that emerged due to the um, COVID, during the COVID pandemic. Uh, Rob and I are both at the Mount Sinai, at the Icon School of Medicine and the Mount Sinai Medical Center. But we have not met until COVID times where a group of us naturally converged into a, a, a group, into a working group and initiated a new center with a common interest. Uh, to work uh, in the field of fighting the, the COVID pandemic. And it happens to be that I have had an interest in the field of wearables due to my interest in uh, using it uh, as an enthusiast uh, uh, person who trains, but never integrated them yet into my research. And I have been interested to do this in the context of understanding outside environmental stressors, such as exposure to chronic stress, and what it does to your, obviously, to your mental health, but also how does it affect your immune system and cardiovascular system. And I was so excited to have met Rob during uh, the pandemic, where he has been leading a very strong research program and have had a lot of experience in the use of wearable in the assessment of chronic disease. So Rob, take it from there. Yeah, so before the pandemic had hit, we had uh, been using wearable devices already to try to study chronic diseases. And this was through the Hasselplatner Institute for Digital Health at Mount Sinai, where we had started to put together some of the infrastructure to use these devices and employ them in the study of different diseases. And as a gastroenterologist, I take care of patients with inflammatory bowel disease, which is an inflammatory condition of the, of the intestines and the gastroenter uh, gastrointestinal tract. And we have been looking at using these devices to see how stress could affect this condition, but also could we identify and predict flares of this disease using these devices. And we had previously shown that from some of these outputs from these devices, we could identify and predict flares of this disease, um, even before people knew they were going to develop symptoms or inflammation, giving us a hint that, that there might be some uh, utility for this, um, these devices and some of these metrics. Um, in the evaluation of COVID, because we knew COVID uh, very early on was a very inflammatory disease and infection, a lot of inflammation in the body, and therefore might lend itself to be able to be monitored or evaluated using wearable devices and the tools we have been looking at in these other diseases. All right. And can you just do a quick description of how you went about actually putting the study together? We talked in the last episode um, I think maybe I already kind of said it, you, you basically recruited a bunch of people, you just kind of 
collected a bunch of Apple watches somehow and, and asked everybody to, to wear them and try to report on if they felt sick and, and get a COVID test. Is that roughly right? Yeah, we had, uh, early in the pandemic, it became evident that healthcare workers in particular were at, were at a higher risk of getting infections. Early studies had shown that healthcare workers were getting COVID uh, at about a rate of three times the general population because of their, their exposures in healthcare systems. And it also became evident that, that healthcare workers represented a psychologically vulnerable group. It's usually a very resilient group that's used to dealing with these kind of stressors of, of people being sick and unwell. But just because of the, 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 in the intensity of that initial surge of COVID, especially in New York where we felt it, they were at a particularly vulnerable group for um, the psychological, long-term psychological effects of the pandemic. So we launched the Warrior Watch study to evaluate really those two questions and saying, can we use these wearable devices and the metrics we can measure from them to either identify or predict infections of COVID, perhaps earlier than we might otherwise? And also, could we use them to help assess the psychological well-being of people since they offer a, a metric that helps us uh, understand the impact that stress has uh, on the body? So um, to kind of address that question, we had, we had, we had and through very generous support from our dean and from the the uh, from Mount Sinai, we were able to launch this study in our throughout our healthcare system, which is the largest in New York City, um, recruiting healthcare workers to just wear download our custom phone application um, to wear an Apple Watch if they have one, and if they didn't, we would provide them with a brand new one, uh, and then answer very brief questions each day. We'd ask for about ten seconds worth of questions a day, uh, so a very low burden uh, as far as what people would have to do. Uh, and then to just continue to do that throughout the many months of the pandemic. Yeah. So maybe add, you know, two important things uh, that, that, you know, are critical, you know, to the success uh, of this program so quickly is number one is that experience that Rob have had uh, in terms of doing these studies and also the, the, the resources that we have uh, with the Hasso-Plattner Institute that we are able to develop an app and able to deploy an app according to your need. It's not a simple thing. So there are many things, you know, all the way to the boring stuff of getting security, you know, clearance, right? You know, making sure that, because you obviously have, you know, patient or sorry, subjects here being, 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 being enrolled into a study. The second part that's important is also the experience and Rob and his team that we have at Mount Sinai to be able to deploy, you know, questionnaires and instruments that are fairly well validated that we can ask subjects so we can assess their quality of life, their mental status and their resilience. So, so we, we really happen to be in, a, in, a, in an environment that was very much in a way um, uh, conducive or simple for us uh, to, to implement you know, complex uh, studies and complex study designs. Yeah, that's really amazing. And so continuing along with the basics of the study design, I would ask kind of how many people were enrolled and, and got COVID, but just in case maybe you didn't remember the exact numbers, I went ahead and, and looked. And so you can just kind of correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, it was 297 people enrolled with something like 48 uh, confirmed COVID beforehand, and then 13 got COVID during the study. Does that sound about right? Yeah, the study is ongoing. So even that we for that first paper that we had put out, we we sort of um, censored the data in September and said, all right, let's evaluate what we've collected. Let's see what our if we're able to identify and predict COVID. So at that point, yeah, 13, 13 people in our cohort had gotten it. Regretfully, many more since then have gotten it. So in our in our current data set, we have many more, unfortunately, people that have been diagnosed with COVID. 
and the, the current cohort size is yeah around 500 and at the time when we we published the paper and analyzed the data yep 297 were included in that analysis how do you feel about those numbers were you pretty happy is that like a pretty good amount would you say and in terms of mobile you know health studies this is a very very I mean, pretty, pretty substantial number of subjects that, that, you know, you were able to enroll and engage. Yeah. And regarding the number of patient of subjects that had COVID in the study, it was just about 4% or so, which is, is, was okay, is, is a relatively uh, large enough number that we were able to do modeling to be able to see, are we able to identify and predict it? And now subsequently, since more people have gotten it, the, the modeling that we were able to do and that we've been working on in our group is, is more sophisticated to build on that initial publication we put out in the last month. Yeah, okay, and kind of random question here. Why again, Apple Watch specifically versus like any of the other wearables that are say like out there on the market? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I mean, I'll have Rob maybe give you more on, on, on the details, but for us, the aspect of being able to access the Apple Health Kit, so you could extract the data and being able to construct, you know, the app that matches that. So that's why uh, we felt Apple would be the best platform. Mm -hmm, exactly, and and in, in building upon that too, uh, people love to wear Apple Watches. You know, it's it's a very popular device, and. Um, one of the most important things when we were launching the study early in the pandemic was wanting people to wear this device for many months. And um, people would be willing to wear an Apple Watch, uh, you know, either when they're at home or at work. So it really gave us very high, we, we, we thought that this would give us very high compliance rates with the study um, to make sure we're having really um, a nice longitudinal sampling. There's a certain, certain right, the prestige or certain you know, love, right, to some of, I'm, I don't work for Apple, or we don't get any money for or sponsored by Apple, but there is a certain, you know, connection and the desire, right, to own and to have an Apple watch, and that really facilitated quite a bit, you know, our, our penetration uh, into this, you know, in terms of recruiting patient, but also compliance, as Rob had just said. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that that's, might play just as large of a role, maybe, as, as anything else, it sounds like. Yeah, a limitation comes up with this too when you're, when you're yes. doing Apple Watch because then yes. you have to rely on the I.O. You have to have people have Apple uh, iPhones. Yeah. So, you know, you, you might have workers or people in the health system that have, you know, Samsung or another device, and that would be a limitation. You couldn't recruit them if you're relying on a watch like that. But as we mentioned, the access to the health kit and people wanting to wear these watches for long periods of time, we felt was a, a reason, one of the reasons we picked it. Rob, do you want to open up the kimono a little bit and talk about some of the limitation and we wish we could have more access to the data or, or should we not go, go there? Yeah, you know, we, we, were, we were largely re restricted as I was alluding to, to what's available commercially. When you buy your Apple Watch, you know, you're collecting the same data that we collected in the study. It goes to your iPhone. You could watch, you could see what your, your heart rate is, your heart rate variability, but we weren't able to. And as I mentioned, we weren't, we're not sponsored by Apple. We didn't get money from Apple uh, or other support at all. Um, so we, we, we didn't have greater access to the data than any consumer would when they buy the device, which, which is also a limitation where you can't analyze the data to the same degree because you don't have the raw data per se. 
which is which is an issue. And that's a that's an important trade-off when you're picking a commercial grade device. You might pick something like the Apple Watch, people are willing to wear every day, all the time. So you have people viewing it for long periods of time and you get that data, but then the trade-off becomes data access might be a little bit more limited. Yeah. So maybe, I mean you're a computer scientist, Leo, right? And you know, you you're a technical guy. I mean, we 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 as engineers also scientists, I mean, we wanted to have access to the whole box, to the whole signal, so we could do different ways of processing the data. And we're a little, little bit limited at this stage. Yeah. So it sounds like a, a lot of different considerations and variables when you go about designing these and, and, and picking. Exactly. As, as, okay. So now getting into how you analyze the data and came to the conclusions of the study. So as far as I can tell, you focused on the heart rate variability. And can you explain just what heart rate variability is and why it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong here, you kind of honed in on that one and focused on it for the study for finding the link to COVID and predicting COVID? Yeah, heart rate variability is a measure of the small time differences between each beat. So it doesn't matter necessarily how many, how many heartbeats you have in a minute. Two people can have 60 beats in a minute, but their heart rate variabilities can differ. So if you have low heart rate variability, each beat could arguably be then like say exactly one second apart. If you have high heart rate variability, that means you have a lot of variability in the time between the beats. So one beat is uh, 1.1 milliseconds between it, uh, then it, uh, 1.1 seconds, and the next one's 0.98 seconds between it. So there's just increased differences in that time between those beats. What this reflects is uh, your nervous system function. It reflects something called autonomic nervous system, which is the part of your nervous system that controls a lot of the functions that you're not thinking about, but it reflects the, the stressors that your body is under. So when your body is under a lot of stress, your sympathetic nervous system uh, increases. And this is the part of your body that amps it up and get, gets it ready to a, kind of um, face a stressor that's approaching it. Your heart rate variability decreases when that happens. And, um, the opposite part of your nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system is the part that calms you down, brings you back to homeostasis. And when that kind of gets more active, your heart rate variability increases. So we can start having insights then by measuring these heart rate variability changes into what your nervous system is doing. And when you're, we, we know from other studies that have been performed that when your body is under stresses, whether it's from an inflammatory disease or from an infection, your heart rate variability in general will, will change. Um, and you'll see significant changes that could predict something or identify something going on in the body. So we had worked on this already a bit in, in inflammatory bowel disease in the GI tract. So we had some experience with it. And we thought, you know, this is a very sensitive marker for things going on in the body. And it might be one of the, the key markers to look at if we're trying to identify and predict COVID infections. So going into it, you pretty well knew that that was what you wanted to look at? Yes, we, we, we picked the, the Apple Watch and knew one of the things that we were going to predominantly look at would be heart rate variability, exactly. Knowing that, for example, as I was mentioning with in, inflammatory bowel disease, when people were getting inflammation in their GI tract, we were seeing significant changes in heart rate variability preceding that, that event happening. So again, these you start seeing a lot of times in conditions, changes in the nervous system, sometimes before people might realize it or before things become otherwise manifested. So it, we thought it might give us some insight into being able to even predict or identify these infections before people knew they were sick. Yeah, because I feel like sometimes when, when folks are doing any kind of data analysis, you can do it in kind of a like unbiased way, I guess you could say, where people might just say, just give me as much data as possible from every variable you can possibly get and let's figure out which ones 
might be linked. But in this case, it sounds like it was more like we know kind of how this process works and which one should give us the sign. So we know we want to look at that. Is that about right? Yep, exactly. We were, we were we never know if things are going to pan out and it will show differences, for example, with COVID, but exactly based on prior publications and some experience with it, we, we picked it for a reason, knowing that um, this was something we should look at and maybe will give us this, the, the answer we're looking to, to see if we can, uh, to see what we can answer. Yeah, okay. And then going from there, then once you gather all the data from everybody for the whole length of time for the study, then how do you go about the process of figuring out how you want to analyze the data and figure out if there's a, a link or not from the modeling side? So the, Zai, I don't know if you, do you want to go start or you want? Oh, no, you go ahead. But obviously, I mean, we, you know, we have uh, people who are experts in, in data analysis and signal. We work very closely with uh, our team of um, statistician uh, to come up uh, with the right model uh, to analyze the data. This is also, you know, a little bit of uncharted territory, right? So, so we had to explore the different venues, you know, to do that type of uh, type of analysis. Yeah, there are there aren't, you know, as in the, outside of in the last few years where wearable devices have gotten more advanced. There, you know, if you look back, there weren't really periods of time where people were trying to collect, say, heart rate variability all day, every day for, you know, six months, nine months. So we, we really had to work closely, as Zahi was mentioning, with our statisticians to say which models could, could be used to best um, look at this kind of a data set that we have uh, to try to answer the questions that we're trying to evaluate. All right. And then I, I think the final question is uh, how, how well did it perform? And overall, what, what would you say, like just in general, as far as how well can you predict COVID from wearables? So the, the first study that the study that we had just published was predominantly looking and saying, can we identify and predict COVID? Can we see these changes that are significant from the watch outputs that say someone has COVID? And can we predict it? And we, we did find that there were there are significant, statistically significant changes in your heart rate variability over 24-hour periods that let us identify COVID even seven days before someone is diagnosed with a nasal, a traditional nasal swab. And this is including in, in asymptomatic people. These are people that were otherwise didn't have other symptoms going on. What we are doing now, so the second part of this study then is exactly what, and that's what we had published and what we're, we're most interested now is of saying is how good can we do this? What's, what's the, the, our ability to actually predict it? And this, in our larger data set now that we have, because we've recruited people even since we analyzed the data, we're able to do uh, and employ more advanced statistical tools then to actually say, looking at each individual over time, how, how well can we say with likelihoods that people have it or not? There's, a, there's an important caveat with all of this with heart rate variability is it's very sensitive for changes in the body. So anything that happens in the body that's particularly inflammatory, you'll see changes in heart rate variability. It's not specific for COVID. When you're dealing with something like a, a large pandemic and lots of people are getting infected, seeing changes that could reflect something significant going on the body like COVID might be enough to flag that person and say, you have something going on, you should be tested, you should quarantine. Um, but there could be other things that are, are at play in the body causing that. So you always have, we always have to try to juggle and balance this idea of, of sensitivity and specificity of these kind of tools. Yeah, I was wondering that as I was um, reading through do you think, uh, it, it seems like a lot of illnesses would have similar signatures. Is, is that about right that the signature you get for COVID might be the same as like a lot of other diseases? And, and or do you think there could be actually distinct signatures for, for some of these 
There could be distinct signatures, but a lot of it probably there would be overlap. So uh, this gets to the point of what you what questions you're trying to answer with your with your wearable device and in what population. So if you have a specific disease that you're looking to see, is this going to get worse or flare over time? You could if you if you study it enough, you can say what signatures really reflect what change in signatures over what period of time reflect the likelihood that this disease is going to be flaring. Now, you might be wrong 20% of the time, but but if you're right 80% of the time, that might be enough to re-engage with, say, a patient and say, maybe you should check in with your doctor because we're seeing features that say you could have a, a decent chance of having a problem in the future. Might be not, but but you might. So it would be, I would imagine wearables will be used in that sort of a way in healthcare in the future of, um, of monitoring. But this is exactly why we need studies in specific disease states to say what features are important for the specific question we're asking. Yeah, yeah. that's why, again, we go back to in the future, you know, the way we will do this work, it will be, will be, you know, designed according to the questions or will the sensors may have to be tailored, the data access will may have to be tailored. So all, and the app will, so, so we, we, we feel that's why we want to be, you know, have open systems, right? So we, we could do all this in a way that we have the freedom to control, uh, you know, everything from A to Z. Yeah, this is a just really incredible work that you all are doing. And I think my my last thought I have on, on the study is um, there was just one particular figure in the paper that I thought was just kind of striking. And uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it seemed to show essentially 24 hour periods of time and you would see what the heart rate variability is for the 24 hour period. And it basically showed like everybody pre COVID and post COVID and then like the seven days before and seven days after. And it, it seemed like you could just see a really distinct change just from that. Is, am I, am I right in thinking that's like a really, it was a really striking figure and you want to maybe yeah. talk about that? Yeah. So if you, if you map someone's heart rate variability over 24 hours and, and that figure in the paper, we do that for everybody. And you see this really nice sign curve. It's like a nice wave up and down over 24 hours in the seven days before a COVID diagnosis, that nice kind of wave sign like curve becomes almost straight. The amplitude in particular, what we saw is what we saw a statistically significant change in that, um, that kind of shows that people are, are infected. And yeah, you, you don't even need to do the statistics almost when you, when you look at that picture because it's, it is very striking. So what's that, ref, that reflects is a, a significant alteration of your nervous system function that's occurring in the period up to seven days before while people are sick, but before that test was done. And the, that group of people included symptomatic and asymptomatic people showing that um, even if you might not have symptoms, there's significant effects on the nervous system that are occurring in the body that you're pointing to in that picture that show um, show the effects on the nervous system. Yeah, I, I think it, it's exactly like you said to me. I, I think there was even like an XKCD comic or something joke comic recently of like, you want your data to look as though you just don't need to perform any statistics or analysis <laughs> on it or something like that. I don't know if you saw that. No, I didn't see it, but yeah, you're right. I mean, looking at the picture, right? You don't need, uh, you, you almost don't need to do a statistical model to show how significant that is. Yeah, the change. Yeah. Are things like this, like COVID prediction, things that you think are going to find their way into consumer, uh, consumer wearables? I mean, yeah. So, so, I mean, we definitely see, you know, the consumer, you know, wearables companies, you know, have all declared their interest in, 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 in healthcare and having, an, you know, having a, a, a foot in the door there. So Apple has not been shy about this, you know, same thing with Google. Uh, and I'm sure, 
you know, the others such as Samsung, uh, Amazon, uh, you know, are also have an interest in this. So the question for us, will the platform and the devices, are they gonna be good enough for us as researchers to be adopted for our future studies or not? So the more, again, the more you, you open up the kimono, the more you open up that hood and make these available uh, to the research, like, you know, like open source, right? You know, uh, the better I think is going to be and more helpful to the, to the healthcare uh, biomedical research community. Yeah, in the genetics world, I feel like there's been times where yeah. There's been obstacles to getting some of the things into like a consumer type product. Do you think there's going to be similar obstacles with wearables reporting on like healthcare outcomes, like saying, "Oh, you, we think you have COVID." There could be some. No, I mean the obstacles. The, the heart rate, the, the arrhythmia detection by Apple, right? I mean, showed that they are not shy about it. Right? <laughs> they, 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 they had a goal there. They implemented the study. They, they were able to do you know, two major trials, um, very, you know, very innovative ways to, to get the signal and to, to look at uh, what the data tells us. So I, I think they are going to be aggressive in pushing, uh, pushing healthcare solutions, definitely. All right, well, before we wrap up, are there any other aspects of the uh, science or results from your study or just wearables uh, in general that you'd like to um, discuss before we conclude? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you know, we're interested in not only to monitor, but also to do and deploy interventions. So, so we hope to also continue and we work on projects and, and with wearables and apps where we are deploying intervention to help. Uh, uh, but, and we can maybe, this would be maybe hopefully a topic of a future podcast if you invite us again. <laughs> I would definitely love to. This this has been a really fascinating conversation. Uh, Dr. Hurton, any other final um, comments on your end? No, I think you really, um, really covered the topic nicely. And I think we hit a lot of the high points. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, both of you, uh, Dr. Fayad and Dr. Hurton, for taking the time to, to talk about all this. It was, it was really interesting. Thank Pleasure. you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I hope you found it interesting. If you did and you want more, come join us for a conversation on Reddit. You can let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, who you'd like to see next on the show. You can send in questions for future guests or just come chat about all things related to bioinformatics and of course, beyond. You can join the discussion at reddit.com slash r slash bioinfopod or you can always just tweet at bioinfopod. Finally, you can always help out by subscribing to the show, giving it a rating, or just recommending it to a friend who you know is interested in these topics. Thanks again, and see you next time.